0: Hey there, it's Dr. Sophia Satterwhite, founder and CEO of She Heals the World. I'm so happy that you are tuning in to today's episode to hear the top lifestyle and business tips from women entrepreneurs all around the globe. If you found this show helpful, be sure to share it with a friend. That's how our community grows. Today's guest is coming up next. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the She Heals the World talk show. So today I am so happy to have Nicole Centeno joining us. Nicole is a French culinary trained chef, and she is the founder and creator of Splendid Spoon. She's going to talk to us about the ins and outs of creating your first food product and share her journey to success. Nicole, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dr. S. I'm so happy to have you. Can you let everybody know how you got started with this work?
1: I have always been on a journey with food. I think I really see my world through my taste buds. Um, But it probably started um, when I was pregnant with my son Grover. I, like many women, was inspired to think a little more deeply about how I was taking care of myself and realized I wasn't eating very many fruits and vegetables. Um, My background is actually in biology and biochemistry. I had studied uh, nutrition and diet therapies as treatment for epilepsy as an undergraduate. Um, Mm. And then I had also gone to the French Culinary Institute. Um, So I was a little bit like, hmm, maybe I can figure out... (laughs) how to make healthy food taste good. Um, And maybe there's a way for me to just create a little bit more balance for myself. Um, So I actually started reading up on plant-based diets and that was what I landed on. I I said, you know, there is a way for me to incorporate more plant-based eating into my life. If I can make it a little bit easier um, and more convenient, then I'm much more likely to do it. Um, and that will translate to me not getting sick as much, um, being he- more energized, uh, as I become a mom and creating healthier habits for my children and for the planet, because plant-based eating has just such a big impact on our greenhouse gas emissions as well. So mm. it started out with really just figuring out how to feed myself a little bit healthier on a daily basis. Mm. And when was the company founded? Like what year? Technically, it was founded in 2013, which is the same year Grover was born.
0: Yeah, wow, beautiful. So this is really at a time where like the whole plant-based thing had not really taken off yet. So you're like one of the early adopters. (laughs) Earlier, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I know you talked about what you studied in school before you decided to create this beautiful business you have. What did you think you were going to be doing when you grew up like as a little girl? I had so many different dreams for myself when I was a little girl. Um, I was
1: always interested in science. I thought I would be a marine biologist. I thought I would be a pediatrician. Um, I thought I would be a coastal field ecologist at one point. Um, So how things work and nature and um, how it all comes together in the human body, like definitely all common themes for me
0: hmm And why do you continue to do the work that you're doing today?
1: You know, I. it's funny because it, it started with just this passion for food and like this excitement around helping people to reconnect with the beauty of food and the beauty of taking care of yourself through food. Um, and that's definitely still a big part of it, but I think it's evolved to really give me this sense of purpose and service Mm -hmm. Um, like that is super motivating for me every day to, it, it just, it gives me a jolt of energy to, to be in service to something bigger than myself
0: yeah I think you know i I totally love your work. I love your business, and I think it would be helpful to give the audience just somewhat of an overview about like all the things that you're doing because you have a pretty big brand. So can you tell us like what Splendid Spoon does, what kind of products and offerings you guys have? like give give us the whole spiel For sure. um
1: <laughs> so at Splendid Spoon, we think of ourselves in the business of preventative care and that food really can be medicine. Um, But we acknowledge that it's like not super easy. (laughs) We live busy lives. Not all of us have um, worked in restaurants and not all of us even really like to cook. Um, So our mission is really to make plant-based habits a lot yummier and a lot easier for folks. And we do that by creating ready-to-eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, and um, also shots and increasingly other snacks and things for in-between that help you achieve those plant-based goals. So it's things like smoothies and grain bowls and the soups that we started with. Um, We have noodle bowls and we have wellness shots. So all sorts of really yummy tasting things to hopefully entice more people into adopting a few more plant-based habits every day.
0: You know, I have to say I have fallen in love with turmeric wellness shots. Um, I am the kind of person I've been juicing and smoothieing for a long time as well. I used to be 100% vegan, then I was vegetarian. Now I'm just kind of plant-based in the middle. Um, but I always had the issue where like I would juice something or even buy a full juice and never finish it. Like for whatever, I can only get like three to four sips in and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then I put it away and I think I'm going to come back to it. and I never come back to it. And this whole, Wellness shot thing has like completely won me over. I love them and I have to try yours because it is like such a brilliant, genius thing to do is to have a wellness shot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. We have one with your name on it. I think yes. the wellness shot has, um, turmeric, lots of turmeric in it, and ginger and orange juice and, Mm-hmm. Um, we have a green detox shot and uh, we have a digestion shot with apple cider vinegar in it, too.
0: Mm, sounds amazing. What's your favorite product that you offer? Well, right now I'm actually sipping our
1: butternut turmeric puree, which is like true comfort food to me and one of our earliest flavors. I definitely love the soups. You know, I mean, I actually have a soup almost every day, either for a snack or a lunch. Um, But our noodle bowls are really special too. And my kids probably gravitate toward those the most. We have a vegan meatball marinara that is just like so satisfying and tastes just like the kind of red sauce Italian that you might imagine, but it's healthier. So it definitely scratches that craving for a big bowl of pasta.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. So, I mean, you, again, you have such a big, beautiful brand and I'm sure like for people looking from the outside in, it looks easy. It looks simple. Um, but I know as you know, a decade plus long entrepreneur that building a business is not always, it's not easy at all, actually. <laughs> no, so, It is not <laughs> Yeah. like, so what hurdles did you face, um, in the building process?
1: I mean, the hurdles never go away. One, I think you just get more resilient to them, which I think is one of the real hallmarks of an entrepreneur. It's it's not about it, like, coming easy. It's about actually having a lot of resilience for it being hard. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that the, the first jump was really scary. Um, and I actually did it pretty slowly. So I went to culinary school in 2010, I did some catering and pop-ups on the side, um, like sort of launched the first LLC, which was mostly pop-ups at Smorgasburg, which is a a flea market in Brooklyn, New York. Um, And that was in 2011. And um, I didn't quit my day job until late 2012. So it was an iterative process for me. And I think that first leap of like quitting my job was the first big hurdle for me and at the time I was I think I was engaged at the time to my first husband um figuring out like health insurance and being dependent on him yes, for yeah. that that was really hard like from mm-hmm. an ego perspective and from this perception that I had from the outside looking at other entrepreneurs at the time of like other, re, a real entrepreneur does it totally on her own, <laughs> you know, like mm. a real entrepreneur doesn't need to lean on. And especially like in our society, like I had this narrative, of like leaning on a male partner was like lame. Right. Like I had so much judgment of myself around mm. that, which mm. was really challenging, um, to just push through. And ultimately I do find that It's the conviction and passion for what you believe in and that tiny North Star inside of yourself that allows you to push through those burdens um, and those hurdles. Because I didn't feel like I just like jumped over them and cleared them. I felt like I had to like really climb.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) It was a climb. And I'm sure it's still, it is always a climb. Like every level we get to, it's like, okay, another mountain, another mountain. And the only thing that changes is that you just get more comfortable climbing. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. What has been your greatest win in your business? I mean,
1: building the team and building the food product have been the most magical for me I would say it just takes so much collaboration mm-hmm. and it, it really does feel like magic when people start buying your product and when people start working for you I, mm-hmm. I mean I, I don't have another word for it I'm, I mean there's a lot of work there's a lot of thought there is a lot of strategy and like tactical collaboration mm-hmm. but I think from my perspective as someone who has no background in business. I have no background in finance. I have no background (laughs) in a food product that's scaled for mass consumption. Like I, it, it does feel like magic, the, okay, we're just going to figure it out. And then when you do take a step back and say, Hey, we haven't just figured this out. Like we've got now 55 different flavors and Mm. a team of really bright people who have chosen to to build their career with Splendid Spoon. I'm really proud of that.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Uh, Now, I am so excited to... Hear more about creating your first food product. It is something that has totally piqued my interest. And I know there are so many women in the audience listening who are like, oh my God, I would love to have my own nutrition bar or my own, you know, popcorn flavored whatever. Or, you know, and so I'm just wondering if you can kind of give us some of your tips on like how you created that first food product because this was a few years ago. So I'm sure things are a little bit different, but I want people to like see that this can be doable for them so what was the creation of your first food product like you know it's so
1: first of all I will have the popcorn flavored whatever whoever else is making it, <laughs> sign me up as your first taste tester I got like totally distracted by thinking about popcorn flavored things um it's funny though because the process to bring flavors to life now in 2021 is not so different from what it was back in 2013 Mm -hmm. In that we really are inspired and motivated by what our customers want to taste and what our customers are excited about. Um, So the first flavor was I was like customer number one. It was how do I make something filling and tasty and actually healthy? And it was truly just going to the farmer's market, being inspired by what I saw and getting into the kitchen, rolling up my sleeves and trying lots of different flavors. It really did just start with lots of different stove top recipes in my home kitchen. And, you know, before Splendid Spoon in 2013, I was testing those recipes at the flea markets and scaling them up just a little bit, right? Like instead of making uh, servings of four, I was making servings of 20, um, which gave me, the hands-on experience to scale just to even like a tiny bit and test and see what people actually were interested in.
0: Let's talk about that with the farmer's market because I think you know that is a, a initial starting point, but I'm not sure that people can kind of see that it is as easy as it is. When you decided to take your recipe to the farmer's market, did you have to get like a certain approval or certificate or something? Or did you just contact your local farmer's market people (laughs) and say, hey, I have a food product. I want to sell it. It's going to be $5 or however much you sold it for. Can you give me a table? What was that like? Yeah.
1: So um, it's, I mean, it's intimidating at first, I think, right? Like taking those first steps of saying, hey, I have something that I'm, I believe in enough that I want to charge people money for it. I want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I need a platform to do it. Um, it can be really intimidating again. Like I didn't have, that was not my background. My background was in research biology and I had worked in publishing at, you know, in like a cubicle. So, um, <laughs> I didn't have like a, a mentor at the time to, to show me the ropes of how to do it. And I really did just kind of look at where people were gathering and where people were trying food. And Brooklyn Flea was, like, cool at the time. It was kind of new and cool. And I I did. I kind of, like, went up to people and asked how they got their booth. Um, Literally just, like, starting conversations with people who I envisioned myself to be, maybe in, like, a few months' time or in a year's time, was really, really helpful. And, and then I, through those conversations, realized that I couldn't in New York, at least cook out of your home kitchen and then sell that product. That's not legal. So Mm -hmm. that was one of the first obstacles that I had to figure out was if I can't cook in my own kitchen, how, where can I cook? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to convince someone who already had a restaurant license and was getting inspected by the department of health to let me cook in their kitchen. And early on, that was, that was what I did. And I got my own license. Um, the inspector came to the pizza kitchen that I was working out of and, um, gave me a certificate. And that was what I was able to use when I then applied for the the farmers. It was the flea market at the time. Um, but I did some farmers markets too. And, that was kind of like my ticket to, um, validation of like, Mm. okay, at least figured, I don't know if anybody's going to buy it, but I know that I'm making it in, according to what is correct with New York.
0: Mm -hmm. So the farmer's market though, required for you to have a special approval to be able to sell the food product there. And that required you to work in a commercial kitchen.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, those early conversations are what help you build your network, right? Like I didn't have that network, but by having an unknown that I needed to figure out, I started to build one. Yes.
0: Totally love that. You kind of allowed one thing to lead to the next. It's like, okay, I have the vision my first step is getting into a farmer's market. Let me talk to somebody who is doing that. Okay, you're there. Okay, what do I have to do to do this? And then they give you the contact and that door leads to the next door, which leads to the next door and you continue to follow the breadcrumbs. What was that first sale like for you when you were at that farmer's market?
1: Um... Also magic. <laughs> I think I was super I remember feeling really nervous when people would come up to the booth of like, oh my gosh, like, do I have everything set out beautifully? Is does it taste great? Like, am I really proud of it? Um and the first time someone actually opens up their wallet and is like interested to pay you, it does feel sort of like unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um and then you kind of get the hang of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and you listen, you know, I mean I think it's again this experience of when you don't have the an answer like I didn't know what product market fit was at the time. I did know that I would need customers in order to exist as a business though. So who did I listen to? My customers and it developed that relationship that we still have at Splendid Spoon of being a customer-centric brand.
0: Now, can you explain product market fit for the folks who heard you say that and are like, oh my God, I don't know what that is either.
1: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So your product or your service is the thing that you're selling. And then your market is your customers, the people who will potentially pay you dollars for it. And defining product market fit is different based on like what stage you're in. Um, but product market fit could be selling out completely at your farmer's market. Um, it could be a certain percentage of market share. Once you get a little bit bigger, um, it could mean certain number of repeat orders over time, again, as you, as you start to get bigger. So there are lots of different ways to measure it. And, um, it's just a great kind of reminder, I think, to the early entrepreneurs that um, it's an unsolved equation in the early days.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when that first person came and bought that product and then the next one came and then the next one came and you did another market and another display, at what point did you realize that like oh boy, I'm going to have to formalize this process and maybe start to ship or maybe start to have a, a, a shop. At what point did it actually turn from the farmer's market kind of display table to a full-blown business?
1: Well, it's so funny because it definitely didn't work like that. Like most of <laughs> my, most of the really meaningful moments and that, catalyzed business decisions were things not working so like Mm. um in those early days actually like pre Splendid spoon when I was at the flea market and trying to figure out what I was going to do with this passion for food I was realizing that like my healthy soups there was definitely a market for them at the flea market and it was a very specific kind of customer who cared about their health and mostly it was busy parents who were interested in it that environment, that marketplace wasn't the ideal space for those customers because the competition at Brooklyn Flea at the time was mostly like, I don't want to call it junk food because it was very well-made artisan food, but it was things like homemade ice cream, a craft hot dog, or, you know, candied bacon on a stick, for example. And (laughs) so the audience And, you know, like their receptiveness to something healthy was misaligned there. Mm. So we had to do things like little soup shots. So there would be a trio, which made it a little bit more exciting and made it more fun for them to try the product and not have to commit to like a big bowl of healthy carrot ginger soup. And as I was doing those modifications, it was, this doesn't feel like I want to scale soup shots.
0: Like that's what's mm-hmm. selling
1: here, but that's not, I'm misaligned from my North Star. Yeah. Like my North Star is to help people eat healthier every day. Eating a few shots is probably not getting them there. And in this environment, I'm getting lost. My mission isn't mm-hmm. being heard. And so it was really at that point that I started to do more of the, um, like lunches, so catering to lunches and doing. I started the soup subscription of like, hey, I will deliver to you two quarts of soup um, on my bike, <laughs> <or> <laughs> by, a, by a bike messenger, and that's how I felt I could really make a difference in that consumer's life would be by replacing what they're eating for lunch and giving them something healthier and plant based. When at the time, like almost everybody was having something that was more meat centric during their lunch. So that seems like a really great occasion to make a difference. And that then helped me to understand that day part as my potential opportunity that like my marketplace was actually all of the lunches, all of the busy lunches out there. That's then where I felt like, oh, my, my product isn't soup shots. My product is a meal. So that's a long winded way of saying though, like it wasn't, it was not, okay, I'm selling like gangbusters at Brooklyn flea. Like I got to figure out how to get, how to just scale. That's, I mean, that to me was what I thought it would be. And that's never been my journey as an entrepreneur. It's never been like, Oh, I've hit the nail on the head. I've, this is the silver bullet. Now it's all good problems of scaling it's been much more the stuff that's not working and the fine tuning that has helped me to build the business.
0: Mm. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. So you're on your bike and you are responsible for (laughs) bringing this delicious soup to these homes. How did you get the word out about that? I mean, it's easy. I don't want to say it's it's easy out of at a farmer's market or a flea market. I mean, because nothing is necessarily easy when you're launching a business, but in essence, you have a ready market that's there. So you just have to kind of show up. But when you are delivering and you are taking orders, like you kind of have to let people know and go out and do that recruiting. How did you do that?
1: Mostly my marketing early on was through press. The business had a different name back then. Um, This was like Pre Splendid Spoon launching in 2013. But Smorgasburg did create a launching pad because there was some level of exclusivity of being included as one of the food vendors. Mm-hmm. And then that gave me the ability to ve- develop relationships with press. And it gave me the ability to understand a little bit more about what got journalists excited, like what was a story to them. And direct to consumer was not a thing at the time, for food at least. So having soups delivered on a subscription basis was like very newsworthy to certain um journalists so that was a big part of how I was able to get the word out in in New York at least
0: well you sister are national now right Mm -hmm. and um I'm looking at your Instagram you have 99,000 followers can you bridge the gap between (laughs) getting press? And where you are today with this amazing, amazing brand and social media presence. And I know, you know, we don't have all day, but I I would love to hear some of the highlights of the strategic shifts that you made to really take your product from like being delivered on a bike from this flea market to being delivered on a bike to these press releases to like now having this powerhouse of social media behind you and just kind of having this consistent flow of consumers.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it comes back again to this experience of like checking in with myself and asking, is this, is this the product? Is this the mission? Are we accomplishing it? And when I was doing the deliveries by bike, it had to be pretty expensive in order for it to be profitable. I could only do it as far as my muscles or the muscles of a bike messenger could deliver. (laughs) And so all of that together meant that it was primarily wealthy folks in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think that the problem of um, preventative care through food was isolated to that population. In fact, I believe there were people, Mm. lots of people all over the country that probably needed the product more. And so that was another moment for me to say, no, this isn't, this isn't right. Like this isn't enough. This isn't the right distribution model. And I need to go back to the drawing board So the first thing that I did was I tried to go the traditional route of wholesale and like get into whole foods Mm -hmm. and, um, that didn't work. It was basically no all the time. And Mm -hmm. then
0: thank you for that transparency.
1: Yeah, (laughs) They're like, no, thanks. Um, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, I'll just like keep trying to figure it out. It's not like, no, go home, like close the book. You're done. It's like figure out another way. Um. And that was when I started to build my team, like what I consider my founding team and what I consider to be the real like energy source to keep plugging away and keep trying new things. And so as I did that, new creative inspiration came into Splendid Spoon. And my co-founders, Renee and Satish, Renee helped me on the scaling of the product and Satish really helped think through if we want to be national, we can probably do that with this product if we freeze it and ship it in the mail (laughs) and actually think about scaling the bike messenger Mm. into UPS or FedEx. So that was the big inflection point. And that's how we have been able to tap in. That was a first click for us of there were massive numbers of people all over the United States that wanted to eat healthier and were willing to take a chance on having it be delivered to their house. And we were able to spend a small amount of money um, on Facebook and see that it could scale. That's how the business really started to take off. And that's why we have loads of followers is because we've, you know, that path has allowed us to invest in social media as our main platform to get the word out.
0: hmm How do you ensure today that those posts that you create convert? Is it just about having a really solid marketing team behind you or good consultants or a good founding team? Or is it just a bunch of like, just a small group of people and yourself like just trial and error? Because now like you, you've brought us through such this beautiful journey of like the startup period to like, now we're at a scaling. We're at a scalable business. You have a model, you have something to deliver, you have a service. It can be distributed in mass numbers and you're going to leverage social media to reach a wider audience and find your target people. But what, but what if that doesn't work or how does that work? Cause there are so many people who get to this level and they're like, my ads are not working. Like, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't
1: always work, (laughs) and it does start with just a lot of trial and error. We have definitely always focused on um, trying to have really simple messaging and trying to let the food do the work for us, because ultimately, that's where customers make their decision. So, I mean, they're making the decision before they buy, by looking at the food and looking at the testimonials. And then um, when they taste the product, it's either meeting their expectations or it's not. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of how we consider the best possible marketing experience is: Are we really delivering on our promise with what we show visually and tell with our words? And if the answer is yes, we can trust that the creative will do the work for us. But yeah, I mean, in the beginning it, it is just trial and error. I will say finding a great photographer does a lot. Having someone who's passionate about marketing and communicating with customers and doesn't take personally that campaigns won't work and you have to try lots of different things in the beginning is also a huge, huge help. And then later on, it is finding it is you know building out the skill set and finding experience to to really sharpen the the toolbox.
0: Mm. if you could look back and give your 10 year younger self any piece of advice Nicole what would it be trust your instinct (laughs) (laughs) you know the
1: fear is really natural um, and will come no matter what but that initial gut reaction is real and um, follow
0: it Follow your inner north. Follow your inner yeah. north. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So you've talked about all these delicious meals and um, <laughs> treats that you have in your company, and I am starving. So <laughs> how can our audience find and support you? Work and they buy. Please yeah. drop your links.
1: Yeah. So we are splendidspoon.com, and we are on Instagram, spoon. And so those are the best ways to find us and check out all the beautiful food and hear from our customers just how much they enjoy the product.
0: Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to have you back. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the She Heals the World talk show with Dr. S.
1: To learn more about how to live your life by design, grab a freebie at shehealstheworld.com forward slash freebie.